You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Okay, we're going to have a somewhat interactive sermon this evening. Is that okay with you? Are you going to be okay with an interactive sermon? I need some positive affirmation here before I get started. The 11 o'clock refectory service was much more, as soon as I asked that, they enthusiastically, everybody said yes. So, okay, I hope you're just as ready as they were. Let's pray for God's mercy before we begin. Father, for uh, this time now of learning from your son and what he has to say to us in this parable, uh, the sower and its explanation, Lord, that uh, we would have humble hearts, hearts of good soil, and hear this word and that um, the seed of your word would spring up in our lives and bear fruit 100 fold we pray in Jesus name amen so this is the what's called the parable of the sower although you could say the sower the seed and the soils uh, and the emphasis really is on the, the the four different types of ground here in this parable less so than it is on the sower himself um, but the context of Jesus telling this this parable of the sower, and a parable is a, a very short story that's told to communicate some spiritual idea. And the context of him telling this story is that he's traveling around in Luke's gospel in the region of Galilee. Uh, for a big part of Luke's gospel, that's what Jesus is doing. And Galilee, of course, is the region where the uh, Sea of Galilee is, which is not a sea, it's a lake. Um, but it's a very large lake, which is why they call it a sea. And that's about uh, north of where the modern-day West Bank of Palestine is. I looked this up on Google. If you were going to drive from Jerusalem, you'd have to go around the West Bank, of course, and it'd take you about two and a half hours to get there, just to give you an idea where he is. This is where Nazareth, his hometown, is in this region of Galilee. And he's traveling around many towns and villages. Many of them are around the sea, uh, small towns, uh, and he's going to these towns for sometimes less than a day uh, and, and teaching. And while he's doing this, he's starting to collect crowds. A large crowd, we're told at the beginning of our passage this evening, uh, is crowded around him. They're gathering, and then he tells uh, this parable, and I'm going to try to tell it in my words a little bit. And the parable is about a farmer. That's what the sower is. The sower sows seeds of the plants to grow for crops. But this farmer is a bit strange because he sort of blindly, indiscriminately sows his seeds everywhere and doesn't take any concern for the the type of ground. And we're told that the seeds fall on four different types of ground. Some of the the seeds that this farmer uh, sowed fell uh, along a path, you might think of a, a sidewalk or a footpath of some sort. And when these seeds fell on the path, some of the seeds are crushed underfoot, and still some of the others that remain, birds came and ate them. Uh, the sower sows some more seeds, and they fall on a second type of ground. This ground is uh, stony. It's rocky. And the seeds that are planted there, they actually sprout. But because there's a lack of moisture, not enough water, they sprout, but they eventually wither and die. They don't grow to full maturity. And then a third type of ground, the sower is sowing and the seeds fall on a ground that is full of, you might think of brambles, thorny weeds. And because these seeds fall in these 
thorny weeds. They start to grow up, but the weeds grow around them and choke them out. And so uh, they uh, die as well. And finally, some of the seeds that the sower sows fall on good soil. And this soil is ready for these plants because these plants grow and they grow to full maturity and they bear fruit. They bear uh, fruit 100-fold, 100 times themselves. So not just uh, enough uh, to eat, but plenty still left over to sow seeds in uh, the coming seasons. Okay, here's what I want to do. I've told this parable in my own words without thinking of the explanation that Jesus uh, gave later on, just what I've told you with the parable, without looking at your Bible, without looking at the bulletin, just get with one or two other people near you and try to help each other to retell this parable. I want you to get this parable down, okay? So just retell the parable. Don't look at your Bible or the, the uh, bulletin in your own words. Help each other out. Retell the parable real quick. Go for it. Okay, hopefully you've had enough time to, in your little group there, help each other out to retell this parable. Now that you know this important parable, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, unlike probably all the other parables in the New Testament that Jesus tells, this one we actually get an explanation. And I've asked the question in the past. I remember preaching here a couple of years ago. I think it was in Matthew. And uh, I said, I don't even need to preach tonight because Jesus actually gives an exposition of the parable. Uh, so my job is made easy anytime that I preach on the uh, parable of the sower. So let's look at that because he gives the explanation immediately following there in verses 9 through 15. And this is not to the crowds. The disciples are with him alone and they ask the question, um, what does this mean? And he said, starting in verse 10, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. I want to just hit pause there real quick, because Jesus is saying here the opposite of what I often hear people say about parables, what maybe some of you say about parables. People often say, don't they, that Jesus uh, told stories to simplify concepts so that people can understand. Well, here's the one place where Jesus is telling his disciples why he's speaking in parables, and he says the opposite. He says, I speak in these parables to confuse people on purpose so that only those who have ears to hear and eyes to see uh, will will, will hear what I'm saying. They might not understand, but it's a way to filter out those who are truly interested in Jesus because their interest will be piqued. And like the disciples, they will ask questions like, well, what does that mean? Whereas the other people will just say, this guy's crazy. He's telling stories that I don't understand and move on. So do you see what he's saying there in uh, verse 10? Now in verse 11, he starts to explain the parable for them. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. That's easy enough. So the Bible, the word of Jesus, the word that he's preaching. So the seeds are the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So these are people who have heard the word. uh, And upon hearing, they, uh, they, they don't have anything to do with it. 
because the devil takes that away from them and they move on. And these are many of the people in the crowds. You might think of those who are challenging him often. Religious leaders like the Pharisees could be described, many of them, this way. And then uh, in verse 13, he explains the rock. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. So these are some who hear it and they get excited. Maybe they're on a retreat and have a mountaintop experience. And then two or three weeks later, you know, the, the, something happens and there's a lack of perseverance and it makes no difference in their life. And then he says, and uh, for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now this, uh, I imagine, is the, the, um, the way that most of us feel, you know, that um, the concerns of life are getting in the way of following Jesus. The, the things that are, that are often in front of our eyes or the things that we desire and seek after, riches and pleasures. Uh, and these are the cares that uh, take us away from full maturity in Christ. That's the, thorn, the, that's the seed that fell among the thorns. And then finally, the good soil, he explains. Uh, as for that, in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So he's saying about 25% of the people will hear the word and it will actually uh, stick with them perseveringly with patience throughout their whole life and continue to bear fruit. They will hold fast to the good news uh, of of Jesus Christ. A common sort of church-going response to this parable when we bring it up is for someone to ask, and you might be thinking yourself, well, what type of soil am I? You know, what type of soil am I? That's a very good question to ask. Let me just say, if you're asking that question, good for you. You might actually be a good soil person. That's a good soil person question to ask because the good soil is the one who perseveres, who has the patience. Uh, you know, you might feel like you've got the, the thorns crowding things out, but you're asking that question. So that's a good sign, okay? But I want to say that I'm not sure that this is the intended purpose of the parable to get us to think, well, what soil am I? Uh, that, even though that's a good response. Rather, this parable and its explanation seem to serve two uh, main purposes. The first one is to explain what Jesus was doing in his traveling ministry. This parable explains what's happening there while he's traveling around in Galilee. And the second purpose is it Uh, gives instructions for his disciples, including us, to do likewise. And we see this first purpose of explaining Jesus's ministry actually in the paragraph immediately before the passage. So if you have your Bible, you can look at it. There are some in the pews if you need one. Uh, I think your page numbers are the same in the pew Bibles is 864. So this is chapter 8 verses uh, 1 through 3. Hear the explanation of what's going on right before he tells the parable. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. 
and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. Um, So here's an interesting thing. These three women are good soil, and they're three women who seem to be from three different walks of life. Um, One of them, Mary Magdalene, has had seven demons cast out of her. Now, you and I, if we're thinking about finding a good soul person, we're probably not going to go looking for the demon-possessed. But that's exactly what Jesus did. Here's some good soil, and Mary, she had some demons cast out of her, and now she's traveling around with this band of apostles and providing for their means. And not only her, uh, but... uh, Uh, Joanna, who's the wife of someone in Herod's household, Herod the king of Judea. So here's somebody of wealth. Even though some of the wealthy, it's like passing a camel through the eye of the needle to get them into heaven, sometimes some follow. And here's one of them. Here's a good soil person. And then another one, we get no explanation about who's Susanna. Who knows? She's probably a middle-class lady. So we have a a demon-possessed a wealthy person and a middle-class lady, all good soil. You know, but if it were up to you or me, we might not pick each one of them. We might pick one or the other for the good soil. But Jesus, like the, uh, the blind, indiscriminately sowing sower, sows the seed of the word of God and it falls on uh, whomever it will. And some of them uh, that we might not expect are the good soil. So Jesus ex- is explaining exactly what he's doing. And then following the passage... Uh, this is related uh, to the parable of the sower. Luke puts it here on purpose, the lamp under a jar, starting at verse 16, explains what this means for us. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. So I hope you see some of the parallels between the explanation of the parable and what he's saying about the light which he's switching metaphors. He was talking about the seed as the word of God, and now he's talking about the light. The light is uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those of us who have it ought not to hide it, but like the sower, ought to let it spread, let it shine, put it on the lampstand. Uh, Just as those who are the good soil bear fruit 100-fold, can't help but letting the the gospel continue to, to pour out and bear fruit, so those of us with the light of the gospel ought to let it shine and not have it hidden. Well, this is where I'm supposed to exhort you as the preacher. Uh, This is the point where naturally, as a preacher, what I ought to do is exhort you to sow the seeds of the gospel broadly. And I've done this in the past. I probably did this last time I preached on this text right here. But I'm convinced that we pastors exhort our people to do this, to, to share the gospel message, and yet... For the most part, we don't train our folks to do so. In many conversations that I've had, people have told me they don't feel confident or equipped to actually sow the seeds of the gospel. And so I'm going to give you a quick and dirty seed-sowing training right here, okay? 
Um, if I had more time, I'd tell you more. Come to the forum next week or any other training along those lines. But in a matter of a few minutes, I want to give you a five-step process to sharing the gospel, okay? Quick and easy. And actually, because it's so simple, you might actually do it versus some of the things that are more complicated. And to do this, to help us see how to, sh- how to sow the seeds of the gospel, to share the gospel, if you have a Bible, look at Luke Still in Luke chapter 10, a couple chapters later, verses um, 8 through 11. This is when Jesus is sending out the 72 uh, disciples into those villages in Galilee before him to sort of pave the path of his coming. And he says this to them. He gives them instructions, which, by the way, I would say are probably not just suggestions for us to look at this and say, well, that's a nice suggestion about how to share the gospel. This is the Lord of heaven and earth, the word of God himself, giving instructions to his disciples on how to share the gospel, so they probably still apply to us. He says this, Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe against you. And so here are my five points that are all right here in Luke chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. You ready? If you've got a pen, you could write them down, or this is being recorded and you can listen to it later in the week. But we're going to make sure by the end of tonight you have these all down. Here's step number one that Jesus gives us. Eat meals with people, okay? Eat meals with people that you want to share the gospel with. Invite them to have a meal with you, preferably in their house. Do you see what he says? Or if you go out to a restaurant, therefore, get them to pay. You want to share the gospel with them and they offer to pay, say, okay, don't insist. Say amen. Love you. Get them to pay or have them make a meal for you in their house. I mean, if push comes to shove, have them over to your house. But uh, listen, look, look at what Jesus said. Go to their house or get them to pay if you go to a restaurant. If it's a long-distance sort of relationship, you can't have a meal with them for whatever reason. Maybe it's someone you meet on the street and you just don't have time to go out to lunch together. Just skip step number one and go to step number two, which is this. Offer, first of all, before sharing the gospel, offer to pray for them. Ask them if there's anything that you can pray about. Jesus said, heal the sick and cast out demons. Well, you might not think that you can do that, but you have a relationship with the, uh, the God Almighty, most high of the universe, so you can ask him to heal this person of their infirmities and cast out whatever has a hold of them, okay? So ask them, is there anything that I can pray for you? And do that before you share the gospel. That's what Jesus said. Number three, talk to them about the kingdom of God being near. That's what he says here. Talk to them about the kingdom of God being near. And you can do this, I mean, you can try other methods, but here's an easy one that I'm going to give you tonight. You can do this by reading Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 together. You're out to lunch with them at a restaurant. They've paid. You've had grace. You ask them, is there anything I can pray for you about before you have grace? You eat your meal and you say, hey, would you want to have a look at something that's changed my life? I've got this Bible in my pocket or on my cell phone. And they'll say, sure, at that point. Because they're having fun with you. And you read Ephesians. Take your time. If you've been coming to this church for any length of time and you can't 
talk through this, then we've been uh, missing the mark with you, and I'm sorry. But listen to this, and I'm ending intentionally at verse 13 to talk about the kingdom of God being near. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And finally this in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus says, tell them that the kingdom of God is near. And that's what this ends on that note. And so that leads me, after you have a discussion with them and you get to verse 13 in your discussion, step number four is to ask them if they feel far or near from God. And have a, what does that mean? What do you mean by your answer? And here's step five, to invite them to be brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, as it says here in Ephesians 2, uh, uh, verse 13. And there are three possible responses that someone will give you at this point. They might give you a green light and say, yes, I would like to be brought near by the blood of Christ. Pray with them. Help them pray for this. They might give you a yellow light and say, you know what, this is interesting to me, uh, but I'm not ready for this. Great. When can we get together and do this again? They might give you a red light. Jesus expects that. Did you see that in Luke uh, chapter 10? He said, shake the dust off your sandals. He gives you permission to say, well, thanks for listening to me and to move on uh, because at this point in time, they're not ready to hear it. But maybe you pray for them and one day they will be ready. Okay, so there are five steps. Eat meals with people, get them to pay or eat in their house. If long distance, skip this step and go to number two. Number two, offer to pray for them. Ask them how God can heal them. Uh, Step three, talk to them about the kingdom of God being near. And an easy way to do that is read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Number four, ask them, do you feel far or near from God? And talk about that. And then number five, invite them, would you like to be near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ? Did you catch that? What's step number one? Eat meals with people. What's step number two? Offer to pray for them. What's step number three? 
And how can you do that? Read Ephesians 2 with them. What's step number four? If they want to be far or near from God. And then step number five. Amen. Thank you so much for doing that. It's easy. I hope you will do that with some folks. And that's what I want to invite you to do right now. You know how to sow the seeds of the gospel with some people. There are other ways that you can do this. But now you know, and you know this gospel message because we just read it in Ephesians chapter 2. And so I want you to just right now, before I end, uh, you know, think to yourself. Maybe you close your eyes and imagine the people in your life that you love. And is there any one person in particular, or maybe two, that you could imagine inviting to do this with you? And if someone is being called to your mind, I want to say that perhaps this is the Holy Spirit calling you to do this with this person and to to take the risk, to to risk the awkwardness of what this might uh, be like. And I want to pray for you and uh, for the possibilities of uh, outreach to such people. I also want to pray right now for any uh, who do themselves feel far from God. And invite you to be brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so I'll pray for all of us now. In Jesus' name, I pray to uh, you, God, our Heavenly Father. Thank you for uh, what we've learned this evening. I thank you for calling any folks to our minds that we might uh, follow this process that your Son gave us when sending out his disciples. Uh, to share the good news of your kingdom, Lord, that you would send your spirit before us into those folks' hearts to prepare uh, them to receive your word and for their lives to be transformed. And I also pray for any of us here this evening who do feel distant from you, Lord, that you are drawing us uh, closer to yourself by your son, Jesus Christ. And we uh, thank you for his mediation on our behalf and We accept his blood and reconciling us to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.